greatest symbol of excellence in sports entertainment. The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. thing I want to do Hulkamaniacs is look you right in the eye and say thank you for everything you've done during this time all the cards all the letters all the support the word thank you just doesn't cover what I feel inside for you guys you know and all I can say is that I love you forever and a day man it just doesn't seem enough This has got to be the hardest thing I've ever been through, you know, and as I read the letters and everybody being concerned about my retirement and how I was going to face it, it just didn't seem possible, you know, that this would happen or come. But before I get into that, I want to explain the facts of life to a few people out there, you know. Somebody named Jimmy Hart, a guy named Dino Bravo. And somebody named the Earthquake Man. You know, the big dude upstairs knew what he was doing, man. He had long-term plans for us before you guys got in our face. You know, he created the heaven and the earth, man, the sun, the moon, and the stars. An energy that was going to last forever, you know. And he sure did a good job with that. But then he dug a little deeper, man. He created Hulkamania. And then for some reason, he created the Hulkster Brothers. And I don't know why he put something inside of me that made me want to lead you guys. And when he taught me about the three demandments, the training, the prayers, and the vitamins, I knew what my destiny was, you know, and I've done the best that I could. So when I think about turning the page and going on to something else, it's the hardest thing I've ever had to face. But when the earthquake and Jimmy Hart pearl harbored me, man, and as they jumped on me and I heard the snap crack on the top of my sternum and my ribs, I hung on to the only thing that I knew was real, man. And as they carried me out in that slow rolling coffin, my mind was going a million miles an hour. The happiness, the loving you guys, the highlights in my career, it was like everything just flashed in front of me. And as I laid in that hospital bed in Venice Beach, California, 250,000, 300,000 letters in the first couple of weeks laying at the end of my bed, I couldn't help but scan and read through every one of them. 
man, I was down. The retirement, the questions, how are you going to handle it? And then somebody special came into my life, you know, a guy that I tried to help. A guy named the Tugster. The big tugboat, man. He came in and he made me smile. He said, Hulk, man, they love you. They're with you all the way, no matter what happens, no matter where you go, no matter what you do. He said, where's that spark in your eye? The eye of the Hulkster, man, where is it? <clears throat> As he sat there and he nursed me, man, every day, you know, telling me good things and how great Hulkamania was. He said, let's ride, brother. Get your head in the wind, air it out. We saddled up, man. As we kicked them Harleys over, brother, and rode down Ocean Boulevard from Venice Beach and heading north, things started to happen, you know. All my fans said, hey, champ, glad to see you out and about. Glad you're feeling better. We're with you no matter what happens. And as we rode and the Harley-Davidson became part of me, man, I started thinking about Hulkamania. I started thinking about being the strongest force in the universe. What it means to that new generation of little hulksters that are training, saying their prayers and eating their vitamins, even if I'm not around. They're going to be the leaders, man. And it just didn't seem right that someday one of those little hulksters that was destined for greatness should have been the one to take me out, not the earthquake. It just didn't seem right. Well, you know, I'm man enough to stand out here and face you and tell you what I've got to say. But I just want to say a special message to, to those three, Jimmy Hart, the earthquake, and Dino Bravo. You guys have been the cause of this. And so I want to make sure that you hear it like the shot that was heard around the world. Hell no, I'm not retiring. I've been reborn again, man. I'm a reborn Hulkamaniac. I'm the Stark Raven Hulkster that you've known for so long, man. I'm alive again, man. The Purple Mountain's majesty, the Amber, wave, amber Waves of Grain, truth, justice, and the Hulk Hogan way. Just before the broadcast, Jimmy Hart, I signed on the dotted line to wrestle the earthquake and SummerSlam, brother. And when I steal the energy from all of my little holsters, I'm going to take that 500 pounds of the earthquake. And as I cinch him up in the launch position, I'm going to hold him for a while, man. I'm going to walk around the ring with him and show each and every one of my little holsters that they're believing in the right thing. And as I slam him through the center of the ring and the earth opens, I just hope that Dino Bravo comes into the ring because Tugboat is going to be in my corner. And Jimmy Hart, what you going to do when Hawkamania, Tugboat, and the Big Brother run wild on you? Hello and welcome to the Hogan Era Podcast. I'm your host, JP John Paws, and this is a part of the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling's podcasting empire on the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling's podcast feed. Of course, we're always talking about the Hulkster and the most dominant era ever in the history of the professional wrestling business, the Hogan Era, the golden era of professional wrestling, 1984 to 1993, back when Hogan was making bank, bro. He was making a ton of money and really killing it for the wrestling business and change the business forever. 
really put Vince McMahon on the map as the global juggernaut promoter that he is and billionaire. And he really, you know, put wrestling back on the map. I mean, you had some great errors before that. And, you know, maybe the Attitude Era, the NWO, the Monday Night Wars era after that. But really, we haven't seen that dominant of an era ever since. And really, wrestling has been quite different since that period with the larger-than-life characters, the real focus in on storytelling, the drama, the emotion, back when the Hulkster could wag a finger and get the biggest pop of all time instead of rather doing a Canadian destroyer and breaking each other's backs and getting a light applause or, or this is awesome chant or, you know, some other corny chant and light clapping that they do nowadays as a fan. But back then you were so emotionally invested. You were so into these guys. You were so into everything that happened to Hogan and everything that he did. It was generating a ton of money, ton of business, a ton of sales. And he's really putting a lot of asses in seats because that was the way it was back then. And Hulk Hogan, like I always say, he's the baby of the wrestling. He kind of set it off for sure. There was some great wrestlers before him and some great after, but none quite ever reached the pinnacle that is the Hulkster and the Hogan era. Last week, we talked about the big boss men. This week, we're talking all about another big rival, and that is John Tenta, a.k.a. the Earthquake. Think back to the Earthquake's debut. It was March 7th, 1989 in the WWF. Before that, Earthquake, obviously, you know, very, very famous and, and very popular in other regions of the world and really made a big name for himself, whether it be sumo wrestling or wrestling in Japan in general. But he really made a huge name for himself outside of the WWF and outside of the United States, really for all Japan pro wrestling. It's kind of where he made a big name for himself. But of course, like I also mentioned, as a sumo wrestler as well, if you really look at his background, he was a pretty damn good athlete. Otherwise, looking at him, you wouldn't be able to tell. But then you see him in the ring and see him doing drop kicks and all this other stuff. Like, man, this guy's a hell of an athlete, dominant sumo wrestler, played football back in the day with an amateur wrestler. I mean, he did it all. And he did it all at about six foot four. 450 plus pounds so i mean a monster of a man to be able to think that a guy could move and really wrestle like that and be that big you're kind of surprised because you know there's been huge guys bundy who had some agility but not the agility the side the way of of earthquake i mean man andre back in his prime many many years before the the big time hogan era feud with with the hulkster i mean he showed some great athleticism as well but, you know, as these guys tend to, you know, get older in age, you kind of lose that. Really, Earthquake, his time in the WBF, I mean, he's a young guy. He's about 25, 26, 27, and really 27 years old is kind of when he starts a uh, main feud with the Hulkster here in, in 1990 in this period. But if you think about it, it's like, wow, okay, he's damn athletic at this point. You know, a little bit later on in his career, obviously, he'd break down and become a little bit, you know, less agile and everything else. But that happens with these big guys. I mean, you can't really stay in that athletic shape forever and that prime forever because if you look at the weight and, and you know, all the pounds and all the damage you're doing on your body at that weight, it's just crazy. But he was able to maintain and, and do a great job for a long time. Obviously, he comes back to WBF as Golga, was in WCW as Avalanche and the Shark and then John Tenta. And, you know, that's a different story for a different day. But as far as being the earthquake, the Canadian earthquake, the man 
that Dino Bravo picked out of the crowd and brought him out there. And you got to kind of like the rest is history from there. As he starts off the Canadian earthquake, he becomes just the earthquake and he's with Dino Bravo. And we move forward from there. It's one of those things when you're a fan, you're like, wow, who is this guy that they're bringing out of the crowd? Is it a real wrestler? Is it a fan? Because you weren't as familiar with him before WWF, especially me being a young fan. I was seven years old when he debuted. So it's like, wow, I don't know who this guy is, but he's a, freaking beast he's a monster he's scary as hell he's a throwback to the days of or not the days but the the years before the years prior when hogan was shooting with bundy and stud and andre and then eventually boss man and one man gang and hakeem and and kamala and guys of that ilk but it's like he almost thought with the savage feud and then he's feuding with warrior it's like okay maybe you're kind of going away from these big monster guys but no they bring that kind of right back into fashion and right back into form and really the first match between hulkster and the earthquake is april 3rd 1990 so think about it okay he starts in 89 in march has a few matches mostly dark matches then really he starts his tv debut more towards september october november and then by april he starts feuding albeit briefly with the hulkster not briefly but i mean this is kind of the start on april 3rd in the first match it is a dark match part of wrestling challenge taping that they did in the war memorial in syracuse new york hulkster of course gets the victory but it's just a dark match no one really knows or anybody who's really uh, familiar with it it was just almost the thing of hulkster wanted to see what he could do with him vince saw money in him Hulk loves those bigger guys, those big dragons that he can slay, the monsters that he could destroy. And, of course, guys that could force him to sell and really get the fans emotionally invested into a feud. That was the big thing about Hogan. It was the selling. Sell, sell, sell. The way he sold, the way he shook when he was selling, just the way he would work in layers, how he's down, then he's getting to his feet, and he's working slowly back to one knee, two knees, and he's working his way back up. It's just what Hogan did to really kind of get you invested, really interested. Because if Hogan was just dominant and, and doing the, the Superman thing and just killing everybody, I don't know if you'd, you'd have as much interest. I mean, of course, you'd love him. He's the Hulkster. He's got charisma out the wazoo. But it's one of those things where, hmm, this guy poses a problem or this guy poses a threat. I'm nervous for Hulk. I'm invested in Hulk. I, I know he's going to win or I think he's going to win or I really want him to win. But can he beat the guy? This guy is different than other guys we've seen. He's huge. First of all, he's like 450, 500 pounds. He's taller than Hogan or, well, maybe around the same height as Hogan. Let's just say I see 6'4", 6'5", 6'6", somewhere around that range. But you know, he's a big, big, massive monster of a man, monster dude. So it's like, okay, what can Hogan do with this guy? How can Hogan handle this guy? He's athletic as hell. He moves quick as hell. He can do drop kicks. You know, it's like all those things. It's like, wow, this guy is going to be a formidable foe for the Hulkster. So really, the first national attention, really not really national, but really kind of came on my radar and a lot of other people's radar, is when Hogan's fighting him at Madison Square Garden. It'd be April 30th, 1990, and Hogan loses, or excuse me, Hogan wins by DQ. Earthquake takes loss here, but very strong. That's the way they did it back then. And not a lot of clean pinfall losses for these big heels that they're popping up and promoting. They're really kind of slowly building him up. And it's one of those things where... Okay, Hogan gets the win. We're happy he gets the win, but we're not satisfied because, let's face it, that's not uh, the best thing in the world. You want that clean pinfall win or submission win or whatever way. I mean, Hogan didn't do 
too many submissions at all, but you know what I mean? You want a clean win for the Hulkster, but he just wins via DQ. That's really kind of getting a lot of attention. It's MSG. It's a main event. It's the Hulkster. Whoever his opponent is, is going to be important, especially if Hulk can't get the clean win over him. So really that kind of sets the stage of like the, the beginning of the feud, the start of the feud. So Vince McMahon obviously sees money in earthquake. You got ultimate warrior. Who's the world champion at this point. And he'll be feuding with DiBiase a little bit. He'll be feuding with Rick rude when Rick rude makes his return to the company and, and coming up very soon. So warrior is definitely busy. They're definitely going in a different direction as far as the world title scene and the quote-unquote main event scene, because they thought Warrior was the guy, albeit wrongly, thought that it was the end of the Hogan time. They thought it was the end of the Hogan era, but as we know, listening to the show, and as you know as fans, that they were definitely wrong. They thought that Warrior was probably going to draw better and, and do better, and that, okay, he beats Hogan clean at WrestleMania six in Toronto, then we're going to start the Warrior era, and we're going to go from there, but it doesn't quite work out that way. The Hogan era, as we're starting to realize, is so important and so vital and so key. But we're also realizing, wow, you can't just create another Hogan. You can have the warrior out there who can be the second most popular guy in the company. He could be super over. He could have that great theme song. He could have one of the greatest looks ever and one of the greatest bodies ever. Cutting crazy, but good promos just as far as getting the, the crowd behind him and into him. But, you know, I mean, he's not Hulk. And now, now that everyone can be that way. If, if you look in the annals of time, the history of time, is there anyone that even reached the level of stardom as Hulk? So it's nothing bad or a negative against warriors. Just the fact it's, it's just truth. It's hard to get to that level. It's hard to reach that, you know, that pinnacle really, because my God, I mean, the, the Hulkster, the biggest star of all time. Think about Austin. Even he, because of the the, the shortness of his reign and the, not the head the longevity of the Hulkster, even he couldn't even reach the, the level in the top of the pyramid that the Hulkster did. So to me, yes, Warrior was successful to a point. Yes, he also failed to a point because you wanted to have him supersede or uh, on upend or whatever you want to say, you wanted him to take over for Hogan to become the top dog in the company and kind of fade Hogan into the, you know, into the greener pastures there or send him off and fade him out of, out of the TV screen and fade him out of the WWF. But it wasn't meant to be, because if you want to do business, you want to do box office, Vince learned right then and there. It's like, man, I like warrior. We're going to give him a shot here. We're going to give him a chance, but I don't think he is up to the level of the hoaxer. And we found out he wasn't. It's not that easy to replace the Hulkster. No one has ever done it since. And, and you know, they've tried to have big stars after that. You have the Roman Reigns of the world. You have the John Cena's of the world. You have Dave Batista to a smaller extent, The Rock, Steve Austin. And they're all big stars in their own right for sure. But none of them reached the level of Hulk. Hulk is just that guy. I mean, it's like Babe Ruth in baseball, Michael Jordan in basketball. You get guys that people can contend and say, oh, yeah, they did this and make the argument. But you know deep down that they're wrong and, and nobody's reaching those levels and, and those heights. But that's why those guys are gods and everyone else is demigods or semi-gods. You know what I mean? It's just a different level with the Hulkster. So Hulk feuds with Macho, Hulk feuds with Warrior, Hulk loses the title to Warrior, Warrior moves on to DiBiase, Warrior moves on eventually to Ravishing Recruit, which means where does that leave the Hulkster? We need him back. We need some 
you know, star power back. We still want to draw. Warrior isn't kind of getting the returns that we thought he would. We thought he'd eagle Hogan in a lot of aspects, maybe even upend him. It's not happening. So think about Earthquake and where this kind of comes in. It's like, okay, you need a guy to feud with Hogan, but it's not going to be the world title feud. It's going to be a separate main event feud. So you have two top feuds on the card and hopefully a better box office. So you got Rude and Warrior on one end eventually and then he got hogan and earthquake on the other end so the feud really between hulk and earthquake stretched from when this monster heel attacked hogan in basically may of 1990 and it ended really through royal rumble 1991 that is january 1991 very high profile as far as where it was in the card like i just said it's not the world title feud obviously because warrior is the champion but it is a main event level feud there's no doubt about it and is it going to be one of the headliners for SummerSlam? You're going to have that great, like I always say, the great poster look. Hogan and an Earthquake on one side, Warrior and Rick Rude with the cage on the other. So if you think about it at SummerSlam too, when we'll eventually get there, but it's going to be Hogan's only singles match at SummerSlam for a while, really, until he comes back and does his return tour for the WWE in 05 and 06 when he made events against Shawn Michaels in 05 and he wrestles Randy Orton in 06. And it's funny, as you think about the Orton earthquake matches, they're the two SummerSlams that he's involved with that he wasn't the main event. I know it's nothing to do with the Hogan era, but just to throw that in there, it's kind of interesting that those are the only two. Two big-time matches, two poster-worthy matches, two poster-level matches for sure. But um, back in the day, you know, you would think Hogan main event, but they're really pushing the Warrior and the world title is going to go on last. And obviously, same thing for 06. They're pushing other matches. They got other stuff going on. You got Cena and, or- and Edge, and then you got Orton and Hulk kind of as a uh, secondary feud, but still big on the card. And obviously, anytime Hulk is on the pay-per-view and anytime he's on the card, you're going to pump him up as a main event level match. Now, Earthquake and Hogan, the only pay-per-view singles match that they had was at SummerSlam. So it's a big feud, but it's not massive. Like we talked about with Savage and we talked about with Andre before. They had many pay-per-view matches, whether it's tag team or one-on-one or these huge matches. And Earthquake and Hogan didn't really have that. They had SummerSlam and that's it. So obviously it's a different time, different era at that, that period too. It's They only had the four annual pay-per-views on the calendar, Survivor Series, SummerSlam, Royal Rumble, WrestleMania. So it's kind of hard to to do that and get more match. I'm sure if they did 12 feuds a month, Hogan probably would have wrestled Earthquake two or three times and had main event pay-per-views. So, although, you know, in in fairness, I got to count Survivor Series 1990 as well because... Yeah, I guess that technically speaking, they would have a couple matches, but I mean one-on-one matches. This will be the only one for SummerSlam. It's the only real time that they have that. And if there was this time and this era, I'm sure they would have went in that direction with having a bunch of pay-per-view main events. So the Survivor Series 1990 teams, they will collide there as well. And then Royal Rumble 91 is kind of where it ends when Hogan eliminates him from the Royal Rumble last, but before we get into that, I I want to bring it up and want to bring it back to May of 1990. So many parallels that people always put between the Hogan feud with Earthquake and his earlier feud with Andre the Giant. It was almost like they're trying to go back to that well. Like, what was the most successful feud for WWF? Possibly Savage, possibly excuse me, possibly Hogan and Savage, possibly Hogan 
Piper. And you got to think about Hogan Orndorff did great business. Hogan Bundy did great business and a lot of the feud in between. But Hogan Andre is really a huge, huge monumental moneymaker for them. You had WrestleMania. You had them creating Survivor Series. You had them creating SummerSlam. I mean, it's just huge surrounding Hogan Andre. So how do you replicate it? You get another big monster. You get a, just a massive man. Obviously, I mentioned before, a little bit different than Andre because of the athleticism of the 27-year-old Tenta in his prime and then older Andre the Giant who's out of his prime in his late 30s. So the Hulkster here is going to be one of those things, like I always kind of said, like like the Slay the Dragon thing or whatever. He's going to be pitted against a guy who's perceived as a monster who legitimately outweighs him by like a couple hundred pounds, we'll say. So it's one of those things where he is definitely, even though he's Hulk and he's a monster and he's the man and all this other stuff, he is going to be the underdog against Earthquake. So when you think about it, you're going to start that feud with Andre kind of on the uh, Piper's Pit talk show. How are you going to start the Earthquake feud? Hey, why don't we use Brother Love in the set of the Brother Love show? So another kind of parallel there. These two monsters, they both attack Hogan in, in different ways on the talk show. Obviously, with Andre, it was more of an emotional assault, and he turned heel with Bobby the Brain Heenan. This is more a physical assault with Jimmy Hart and Brother Love involved and Earthquake physically just destroying the Hulkster on the Brother Love show, beating him down and squashing him. Hey, hold on. Let's get off headset. The fans won't have to listen to you. They won't have to listen to me. And you and I can get a bird's eye view of the Brother Love show. Come on, let's go down to the Brother Love set.
Man, if you just think about it, if you remember being young as a fan thinking like, okay, who the hell's this earthquake guy? Okay, we're learning more about him. Okay, he just beat up Hulk. Okay, he just destroyed Hulk. Okay, he just gave him the Hulkster, uh, excuse me, the earthquake splash. And we are in a lot of trouble as fans because now Hogan looks like he can't breathe. Vince, the announcer's out there screaming and yelling and, and trying to get people's attention that Hulk needs help. Man, I was like, holy crap, what the hell is going on here? Legitimately thinking like, Damn, this sucks. Hulk is out. Hulk is injured. Oh, what what the hell? I mean, this is really, really serious stuff here. As a fan, you got to be thinking to yourself, oh my God, the Hulkster, his career might be over here. And as a young fan, you, mean, you don't really know it, but it's obviously kayfabe and Earthquake, quote unquote, puts him in the hospital. And obviously that's all a part of the storyline as Hogan would go use many months and many time to go film the legendary movie Suburban Commando. So while going to film that movie, they really pump it up Earthquake that he destroyed the Hulkster. And I mean, how else better can you get a guy over than he took out the legitimate biggest star of the era, the, the big cheese you know, the man that set off, like I said, the Babe Ruth of wrestling, Earthquake comes in. You can't get a guy over any stronger than that. Destroys him on the set of the Brother Love Show. Gives him the splash. Hogan's in the hospital. He's out with the kayfabe injury. So WWE basically offers up this funny thing, which is funny because uh, I know uh, a lot of fans did this. A ton of fans, actually. They set up a mailing address for the Hulkster to do the get well wishes. According to Bruce Bridge, I don't know how true this is. Maybe it is true or not, but I know in his podcast, he said that basically they used that mailing list because they get all the people's address because so many thousands of letters were sent into the Hulkster that they used the return addresses to create a mailing list for their merchandise catalogs. So they got a ton of volume and a ton of new addresses, and now they can sell more products and make more money through basically Hogan and the WWF by using the merchandise and getting all their addresses. So it's not much different than what maybe people would do now when they're kind of selling your email addresses or when Verizon, sorry to say this, people sells your phone number to these companies. You're like, how the hell did you get my number? Well, these other companies are literally selling your email addresses and your phone numbers so that they could try to steal and get your business. Anyway, I digress. So, Hogan is out for, you know, a good four months here, three months or so. And you got to think, okay, dating back to 1988 when Hogan and Andre set it off with SummerSlam. SummerSlam is the tentpole event here, especially it's the biggest party of the summer, especially given that WrestleMania till then, there's no pay-per-view in between. You got Survivor Series and the Rumble obviously would be after SummerSlam, technically speaking, if you're looking at the calendar. So you go from WrestleMania warrior rooted is going to start feuding for SummerSlam. Where does that leave the Hulkster injured? Really filming a movie, but injured. And you got earthquake and Jimmy Hart really loving life. And then Dino Bravo, they're all loving life. So what does that mean? It means the Hulkster is going to make a comeback. And what does that mean? It means Hulk Hogan versus the earthquake one-on-one -on -one 
in Hogan's first singles match at SummerSlam before he was in two ma- two tag matches, the Mega Bucks against the Mega Powers and Hogan and Beefcake versus Savage and Zeus. So now this is his first one-on-one match. Not only there with Quake injure Hogan, but he also is his first one-on-one match in SummerSlam. So push, 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 really a big push for the earthquake and really kind of making it very, very important. And this will really be a huge semi main event, not the main event, but a huge semi main event to help sell this card. It's going to be kind of built around Hogan introducing tugboat as well. Who was one of the fans that sent in a letter as a, you know, young fan, you might think this guy's got to be a wrestler. No, I mean, he's a huge, massive guy. Weird gimmick, albeit, but they really kind of marketed this thing as like Tugboat is his friend and he wants Hogan back. And that's really how they introduce it. And he's going to be in Hogan's corner and that's going to counteract Dino Bravo and Jimmy Hart, who are going to be in Earthquake's corner. When SummerSlam rolled around, for whatever reason, Jim Duggan is positioned as Hogan's corner man instead. They took uh, Tugboat out with an injury and obviously Earthquake takes him out. That kind of leads to a feud between them after Hogan. And that's Earthquake's kind of feuding with both guys a little bit there, but it's supposedly, and I don't know how true this is. And I've heard Tugboat say it. I believe I heard Bruce Pritchard say it. There was a rumor that ultimately Tugboat was going to turn on Hogan and build to WrestleMania seven with the premise was that basically Hogan wasn't visited in the hospital by Tugboat when Tugboat was injured by Earthquake, but Tugboat tried to visit Hogan and he tried to get everybody rallied behind Hogan when he was injured by earthquake and sent to the hospital. Hogan didn't end up returning, returning the favor. And that was going to create the heat and can create a feud between those two. And he's going to turn on the Hulkster never happened though. And it was funny because they were thinking about him being the savage turncoat and being the Iraqi sympathizer and being the big feud for WrestleMania seven. I don't know if I would have could have seen it. I don't know if I could have believed it. I don't know if it's hundred percent true or not, but just interesting to think that Hogan versus a heel tugboat, a heel Fred Ottman could have been the main event for WrestleMania seven. And that would have been the big buildup. It seems in premise, like they could have been leading to that. It doesn't, doesn't strike a chord with me. doesn't seem great. doesn't have the Hogan slaughter that awesome poster WrestleMania seven appeal to me. So Hogan's never lost a match at SummerSlam. He has really kind of been the man. So why would you want to have him lose? Like he always says, people in pay see me lose, brother, which is a funny line that he used on Shawn Michaels, which is true because uh, I went to SummerSlam 2005 in Washington, D.C., and I didn't pay to see him lose, brother. So he's 100% true on that. So like I mentioned, the Mega Bucks go down to the Hulkster. And so to Savage and Zeus. So then it comes Earthquake, Hogan. Hogan gets the win, but it's not by pinfall. He wins via countout. And this one, they even use a freaking table. I mean, it doesn't, like today's day and age, where it just breaks in, in half and all that other stuff. But he did use the table, and the Hulkster does slam the big man right on the table. Pretty cool spot. Pretty good match for the most part. The crowd was definitely really in, in it. And they really liked it, but the less decisive finish was one of those things that they used to protect Earthquake and set up future confrontations between those two, especially on the house show market. That was the key. And, you know, you'd think maybe set up some pay-per-view dates like Survivor Series 90, where you got Hogan's team and Earthquake's team. Also, you know, Royal Rumble 91's coming around the corner. You got to keep Earthquake strong for that as well. But it was really intended for the most part for the house show market and to keep that going. 
Hogan wins by a count there, like I just mentioned, but it's not decisive enough. So that's how you keep the feud going. That's how you keep Earthquake strong. I love it. And I think it's great because if you think about it, all right, Royal Rumble 90, him and Earthquake are the match together. Hogan wins Royal Rumble 90. I mentioned April 3rd, the first match. Hogan defeats him in Syracuse, New York. I mentioned MSG, Hogan, on April 30th, 1990. Hogan beats him by DQ. SummerSlam, okay, Hogan wins by count. That match goes about 13 minutes. Of course, it was from the Philadelphia Spectrum in Philly, PA. All a part of the heat returns. Warrior ends up winning his cage match with Rick Rude as well. The next real big match between them is the summer, or excuse me, Survivor Series elimination match. The Hulk Maniacs, Hogan, Duggan, Bossman, and Tugboat defeating the Natural Disasters, Earthquake, Dino Bravo, Haku, and the Barbarian. 15 minutes. That's, of course, Survivor Series 90 from the Hartford Civic Center in Hartford, Connecticut. Earthquake doesn't get eliminated. Hogan, him, and Tugboat, who, well, like I mentioned before, is kind of setting up that feud there. They get to the back and they start feuding. They get double counted out. Hogan ends up winning that match, and him and Warrior end up winning the ultimate elimination, ultimate survival match later on in that evening as well. But really, it's like, man, the feud is not over. I'm not sensing that this is technically over with these guys. We go to Royal Rumble 91. Hulk Hogan wins Royal Rumble 91, eliminating who last? But of course, Earthquake. Thus, technically kind of ending the feud there for the most part for TV, except on 128, 1991 at the main event, number five from the Macon Coliseum, Macon, Georgia, Hogan and Tugboat do defeat Bravo and Earthquake in about nine minutes on TV there, kind of ushering away that feud for the most part. They kept Earthquake strong, mostly. I know Hogan eliminates him, but he technically didn't pin him there. I know Hogan and Tugboat beat Bravo and Earthquake, but he still kind of kept strong there. Really, the only time you're going to see Hogan, I wouldn't say clean. I mean, he's beating them on the house shows and stuff, but they do a series of stretcher matches. I mean, they have all over the country, about 30 of them or so. They have a ton of stretcher matches, and Hogan ends up beating Earthquake at the last one. Well, not really the last one, one of the last ones in the Boston Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. So it was used, and that was 3-2-91. So it was used prominently on the house shows, and it was a big match for the house shows. One of those things where the house show main events aren't necessarily going to be the TV main event, especially after a while, but you want to keep those heels strong so that they do sell out the house shows. Because as I mentioned, week after week, they're so important and so vital to the lifeblood of the company. They're making you a ton of money. You got to keep Hogan's opponents strong for the house shows. That enables you to make money. That enables people to come to the house shows, put those butts in the seats, sell that merchandise, and buy all that licensed Hulk Hogan and WWF memorabilia and products. So Hogan would eventually go down to WCW, of course, and he requested John Tenta. Earthquake comes over there as well. They didn't really have too many one-on-one matches or a big feud, but Hogan did feud with the Three Faces of Fear, which is Earthquake, Butcher, and Sullivan. And of course, he feuded with the Dungeon of Doom as well, which was john tenta as the shark and obviously before that he was the avalanche which is a much cooler name i actually like the avalanche name better than the earthquake to be honest but uh shark not so much and hogan was comfortable and liked him enough to get him a job at wcw but they didn't really have a big time feud he kind of more or less feuded with savage and sting which obviously very very high profile as well so man if you think about it 
Earthquake was only 26 years old when he attacked Hogan. Looked a lot over, older with that bald head and that look, but really 26, 27 years old for the first attack in the SummerSlam match. And just think about it. Like, man, if he if he was that young, he couldn't have been that old when he had passed away. And, man, he just, uh, you know, obviously had some heart issues, had some weight issues. When he did pass, he was only 42 years old. Crazy think that that's how old he was when he passed uh what a damn shame way too young great athlete great wrestler and this was one of those great feuds but it was more of a house show feud more of an intermediate feud yes they had SummerSlam. yes they had survivor series and a little bit of royal rumble 1991 but it wasn't the the big feud that the andre feud was or the macho man feud or the warrior feud and it was again used as one of those bridge feuds of those big monsters that they could definitely make money off of they could definitely sell the house shows they can definitely make hogan look vulnerable and look like he's going to lose but then have him get the win in the end win royal rumble 91 become the number one contender for the title and then bridge that feud to sergeant slaughter and move on from there so earthquake great feud will be remembered greatly go back and watch some of those matches the crowd was so into it especially when he gets taken out and gets that splash and he can't breathe and he's taking it taken out a stretcher in that brother love segment then eventually they start feuding on all the house shows in stretcher matches a little you know homage a little hat tip a little look back at, at him being taken out in the stretcher really really good stuff there and think about it it's like how can you keep hogan strong but also have warrior be champion until Rumble 91 when Slaughter beats him. But how do you keep him strong? you got to keep feeding the beast, feed monsters to him. And there's no better monster to feed than a guy who's six foot five, around 450, 500 pounds in the mighty earthquake. So let's hit the plug. So you follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Two Man Power Trip. Check out the website, tmptempire.com. Of course, Patreon, patreon.com slash tmptempire. That is it for this week. We'll see you right back here next week for a little Hogan era podcast. See you next week, folks. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the two-man power trip of wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at two-man power trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash TMPT Empire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two-man power trip where the power lies brother. And in his corner announced just a few days ago, the big boss man. Here we go, Hulkster. You know something, Earthquake? I remember what it felt like to be underneath your massive frame as you came crashing down on my ribcage. And I also remember you, Dino Bravo, and Jimmy Hart laughing out loud as they rolled me out in that stretcher, man. I remember the tears in the eyes of all my little Hulksters, wondering if this was really the end of Hulkamania. The question that even I wondered about myself. But most of all, I remember the outpouring of all my Hulkamaniacs, all their cards, man, all their letters, and thank God for all their prayers. And I also remember the man who was leading the charge of all my Hulkamaniacs, the big bad tugboat. You know something, Earthquake? The memory is still fresh in my mind of you and Dino Bravo double-teaming the tugboat, making sure he wouldn't be in my corner here at SummerSlam. 
And that's why we're dedicating this match tonight to the Tugster. And it's also why your plan's not gonna work, Earthquake. Because I'm not going into the ring on my own tonight. I've got the big boss man on my side, making sure that justice will be served. <laughs> Let me tell you something, Earthquake. Dino Bravo, Jimmy Hart, this is Philadelphia, where many other rats are the people were first formulated. But the only rats you three are entitled to are the right to be beaten into silence. The right to have millions of fans present during that beating. And the right to a swift and impartial trial with Justice Judge Hogan presiding. Ah, big boss man, I can tell you your founding fathers would be mighty proud. You know something that's right, Mean Gene. Another chapter in American history will be written tonight. And just as Thomas Bossman Jefferson stood at the side of George Washington Hogan as I chopped down the cherry tree with the 24-inch pythons, we'll chop you down, Earthquake, and the hoster never tells a lie. So what you gonna do when the hoster and the big boss man pass their constitutional rights on to you. I can hardly wait for this one, Vince. Let's get back to you.